Welcome everybody back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today, you're going to love this episode. I have Adam Carroll from the Shred Method on. He's a and he's also a, a very uh, prolific speaker. He's he's spoken at over 750 colleges and, and other institutions, and he's famous for his TEDx talk, which has over six million views, I believe. Adam, welcome to the show. And did I introduce you correctly with those stats? You absolutely did, Steve. Yeah, we're we're approaching the 6.1 or 6.2 million mark on the TED Talk. I did, did a documentary uh, a couple of years ago on student loan debt that got picked up by CNBC. So a lot of folks, when I meet them, they'll say, I feel like I've seen you before. And I'll say, well, do you watch a lot of TED Talks or did you ever see a student loan debt documentary? And that's usually how they know me. Yeah. So you're famous with that. So that, that's why I'm so excited for today because this is a topic I'm very passionate about. And so when Adam reached out, I was like, yeah, you definitely need to be on the show. I've watched his TED talk and I've also talked to my wife about this very topic. So I'm excited to share with the audience and to hear your insights today on the show. I love it. I'm super excited. I, candidly, I love your show, the whole idea of boosting your financial IQ, because I can honestly say, Steve, that nothing has changed my life more than f- being focused on increasing my own financial IQ. And so I'm sure we'll talk about some of that, but your show, the topic, the content, it's all super, super relevant. Well, and it's interesting because like finances like play such a significant part in people's lives, not from just the the standpoint of, okay, how much money do I have so I could go buy stuff, but their well-being and just having freedom to do the things that they want. I mean, yes. what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's there's a gentleman by the name of Wes Moss who has a radio show, I believe in Atlanta. And he wrote a book about the the top 10 secrets of the happiest retirees. And one of the secrets he had was that some of the happiest retirees out there have paid off their debt by the time they retire. And uh, you know, a lot of folks that when I start talking about how we did it and using the shred method and being mortgage free, you know, people will say, oh, mortgage is the cheapest money you'll ever have and I'll never pay it off and so on and so forth. And And then I'll ask the critical question, which is, I just want you to imagine it's 24 to 36 months away from now and you have no mortgage payment. How do you feel? Right. And typically most people say, well, I guess I'd feel super free and you know, I'd have lots of choices and options. And it's to your point exactly that we don't understand the feeling or the emotions that come along with money. And there are psychologists that will say that there's over a hundred different emotions that people are feeling around money at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it has everything to do with fear and worry and concern about the future and all of that, that just imagine if you didn't have those, what would life be like? And that's, that's ultimately what we're, what we're selling, if you will. Yeah. And that's huge. And okay. So here's a, a recent statistic and this evokes a feeling within me. Totally. Um, the U S has over $31 trillion of debt. So if you break this down to every single person in the United States, not just like the working individuals, but every single person, babies, teenagers, adults, so on and so forth, that'd be $93,000 per person. Yep. And so that's crazy because there are some implications with this. No doubt. And so when we talk about whether it's boosting your financial IQ, whether it's your TED talk, whether it's, you know, when you're, you're speaking to these different audiences, I mean, this is a topic that should resonate and does resonate with the, with pretty much everybody, because on some level or some degree, it has to be consuming to a lot of people's thoughts out there. Uh, No question about it. I've had conversations even in the last week of folks, you know, one, one prime example, I have a, a client who is a surgeon and their wife is a highly paid professional, you know, highly degreed, et cetera. And they're nearing their retirement years. They're about five to seven years away from wanting to be done, done. And when we started running through their numbers, they're like, well, we have a, a you know a fair amount of debt. We have really high income. And yet when you start digging into the reality of the number, their debt is way higher than what it needs to be way mm-hmm. higher. And I think it's all consuming for them. And so, you know, when you take the the stat that you just gave 31 trillion in, in overall uh, debt load nationwide, 93,000, I think you said, for every man, woman, and child. What what it does is it starts to normalize having that amount of debt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the challenge is that 
as a society, we have we have been lured into or educated by a banker's business model. And in the banker's business model, we are their compound interest vehicle. Mm-hmm. So when we borrow money from the bank and we dutifully pay it back over seven or 10 or 20 or 30 years, we are making the bank money hand, hand over fist and in interest payments. And until we start to really question that and ask, is there a better way of living? I think we'll just, we'll be prone to continue that, that process. And so I, you know, I have it, Steve, in all honesty, that, that I'm leading a revolution, if you will, and not necessarily against banks, just for freedom for people who want to have more choice and option by questioning the status quo. Well, and it, it's interesting. You mentioned status quo and, and mindset and just like the culture, right? The the acceptance, because some people may hear that stat and instead of evoking fear or in worry in them, they may think, oh, okay, well, you know, my $50,000 debt is, on my credit card isn't that bad if if the average yeah. is 93. Totally. Um, and so it's interesting because the thing that drives me crazy and that I think about a lot is that there's this like notion out there in this like mindset with so many people and it's really, it stems from this misunderstanding of, of finances, right? The financial side of life, how money works. And I hear so many people say um, things like, Oh, look at this person over here. They, they drive a brand new Porsche and Oh, did you see their house? And man, they're golfing every day and they have a private jet and jet skis and these vacation homes. And that that's great to see that and to like praise that, I guess. But if you really took a peek behind the curtain, what you would really see uh, would probably surprise a lot of people. So when I worked at in a big four public accounting firm, one of our clients was a private bank and the bank served high worth, high net worth individuals. And so being on the audit team, we were tasked with going through these loans and making sure like the collateral and all the paperwork and everything else that supported these loans allowed for the bank to to book these, you know, these loans on their their books and record yeah. as assets, right? So anyways, we get we get going through some of these records and um you start looking at these individuals who are borrowing large sums of money from the bank. And what I realized is that there are so many people that are highly leveraged. So some people are wealthy and they they don't have a lot of debt and, and they're in a great position. But there are some people where you're like, yeah, they have this fancy car and this you know, this jet and golf club membership and vacation home, but it's also, they're sitting on a ton of debt. Yes. It, and it's the, the, the thing that if you extrapolate that, that out a little bit, Steve, one of the things that concerns me is how hard do they have to work for how long to support that? Sure. And for some folks, they're perfectly fine with that. And, and um, this may be why I'm a little bit different. And some of the folks we attract in our tribe have a little bit of a contrarian view as well. I don't think that you need to work for 40 or 45 years mm-hmm. to retire on one third of what you couldn't get by on in the first place. You know, that's how, right. how most people function. I think that if you can work really diligently and intelligently, invest your money wisely for 10 or 15 or 20 years, you should be able to live off of the money that your money's making for you and live very comfortably well into retirement and beyond and leave potentially generational money, you know, for, for, uh, your heirs, for your children, grandchildren and beyond. Yeah. But it does require, a, it requires different choices, you know? Sure. And yeah. And to that point, I mean, you can make all this money, but your, your cost may be so high that like your break even point, your personal break even point may be out of control. Like yes. I know some executives and business owners where it's like their break even point per month is like or per year is like 500 grand a year. So they have to right. make 500 grand a year like net. That's after taxes and everything just to cover their like expenses, which is crazy yes. because it's like okay, you're sitting on 5 million bucks, but that's going to last you, you know, what? Like 10 years? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so I, I think I think this is a, a very interesting conversation, um, and especially when we get into the death side, because I think it, it starts with this mindset, like you're saying. People think, okay, just you know, work hard. You could have all this debt, you know, retire when you're 60, 70, 80 years old, or or never, whatever it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's very true. I was having a conversation yesterday with a physician who it was, it was so fascinating to me, Steve, and I'd be curious your take on this. 
when we started talking about incomes and, and she was asking me, well, how do, how does someone in residency start to pay off some of the debt or how do they, how do they start to invest well and build wealth for the future? And she was talking about the income and kept focused on the income and the, the lifestyle expenses and so on and so forth. And I started going into the debt side of things. And it goes back to your comment about someone making uh, needs to make half a million dollars just to, to satisfy the bogey they've created. What's fascinating is a lot of people don't pay attention to the interest expense on the debt. You know, there are two great expenses that we have in life. One is taxes and the other is the interest expense on debt. And taxes, from where I sit and I probably where you sit, Steve, you look at $31 trillion in debt as an as a nation, the taxes can only go up. Exactly. There is there is no decreasing taxes over time. It only ha- it can only go up, particularly in a rising interest rate environment. So number one, we have to get really good at minimizing our tax liability. Number two, the interest expense on debt for most people eats up sometimes 25, 30, 40% of what their take-home pay is. That's crazy. And when you look at those numbers and you go, oh gosh, what if I could claw back even $20,000 a year in interest expense? How would my life change? How much you know, more readily could I build wealth? And it's actually fairly simple. It may not be easy for some people, but it's fairly simple. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, Adam, what are the most common forms of debt? Let's take a quick break. All right. I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ, Com and check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now back to the show. Oh, well, the ones that I see, particularly now, you know, given the, the school environment in which I've been working in for a long time. Student loan debt is primary. I bet somewhere in the neighborhood of six out of 10 people that I talk to still have student loan debt. Credit cards are an interesting hanger on, if you will. It seems like people have credit cards and they don't really know why they have a balance. Like I've met really high income folks that they'll have 10, 15, 20 grand on a credit card. And I'll say, why, why are you carrying the credit card debt? Well, I'm not really sure. I just, I've always had some and I just I pay it down and then I use it and I pay it down a little bit and I use it. And and then you start to get granular with them and show them, hey, that 20 grand that you have on your credit card is at 25% because you're not really that great at paying your bill on time. Mm-hmm. And so it's costing you $5,000 a year, just an in interest on that credit card debt. Do you want to burn $5,000 a year or would you just as soon live debt-free, have no, have no credit card payment at the end of the month? Right. So credit card debt hangs on. Car loan debt is there, I think, only because people have have been, again, somewhat brainwashed with the idea that, well, I'll always have a car payment. And I just started questioning that years ago. My wife and I haven't had a car payment for 12 years, probably. And then obviously mortgages, you know, near, nearly everyone we talk to has a mortgage. They don't want it at some level. And so our goal is to help them begin to free up each one of those along the way to then ultimately tackle the mortgage. So is there such thing as good debt, bad debt, or is all debt bad? Or how do you look at debt then? Yeah, I'm not an all debt is bad kind of guy. It may sound like it if I'm talking about just blast it all away and never have it. <clears throat> but I think an interesting number is your interest to income ratio. So here's what I mean by that. If if uh, we met someone the other day, they made $120,000 a year. Mm-hmm. 
if you consider that they probably have a 30% tax bracket, then we're going to lop off $36,000 right off the bat. And that takes them down to $84,000 in net take-home pay. Okay. Out of $84,000, they were paying upwards of $40,000 in mortgage interest, car loan interest, credit card interest, and student loan interest. Wow. So this person was, you know, patting themselves on the back for making 120, which I was like, yeah, good for you. That's awesome. But let's look at what you're actually taking home, what you're what you're making and what you're keeping are two very different numbers. And so when you begin to look at your interest to income ratio, which is how much do you make versus how much do you spend in interest on any given year, you actually don't get to keep that much of what you're making. And so, you know, when we say is all debt bad, it's not. Debt allows us to live the life that that we would like to live. Uh, we do it through the business model of a bank, but there's a different way that we can look at it and, and approach our personal financial economy, if you will, that will allow us to pay less in interest, thereby allowing us to keep more of our income and live a better life, a bigger life. Yeah. And that's crazy when you look at the interest to income ratio, because yeah, I mean, people may realize that, wow, I'm, I'm really a slave to this. You know, I'm working this job that I hate or I don't like, and I'm taking home such a, a small portion, but they just feel stuck because they yes. have like all these financial obligations and they're not living the life, the best life that they, they really could be living. It's, it's true. And I think that they, they tend to look at traditional wisdom in terms of, well, how much am I putting away in my 401k or my Roth IRA, how much am I put, do I have my six to 12 months of living expenses in the bank? And and I don't fault anyone for doing that or for following the Daves and Susie's out there. But there is a question I would ask, which is, is that model getting you where you want to go? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if putting $500 dollar cost averaging into an S&P 500 index, if the assumption is, well, that'll get me to my $4 million status by the age of 70 or whatever your number is, Okay, that may work, but you're you're counting on the S and P 500 guaranteeing a certain rate every single year because that's how those models are compounded. Sure, it doesn't really take into effect what's happening right now in the market, which could be that we may have a sideways market for the next four years, mm-hmm. based on some accounts. And what happens to people's uh, quantification of retirement when four years out of those twenty five or thirty that you're trying to compound? are at zero or negative, it may completely tweak the the numbers. So we started looking at it differently saying, what if we could eliminate the compound interest up front on our largest items like our mortgage? And we we blast away student loan debt long ago, but on our mortgage, if we blast away all of that, that compound interest or amortized interest would be more accurate. And then we really levered up on what our retirement looked like it it wasn't this gradual compound interest curve that you normally see. It was like a rocket ship straight up. And it changes the way you invest. It changes the way you think about risk. It's just, it's a different way of thinking about it. So I, I go back to the question, is what you're doing getting you closer to where you want to be faster? Or are you trusting wisdom that that may have aged out just a bit in this environment? Yeah, absolutely. And really, when we look at debt, it's like when you're taking on debt, you're really borrowing from your future self. So you take on a car loan and it's a five-year loan, you know, you're borrowing essentially from your future self in one, two, three, four, five years into the future. Exactly. With the mortgage. So, you know, you may be, you may get that instant gratification of swiping your credit card and buying this jacket or Xbox or latest and greatest gadget. But really what you're saying is, hey, I'm borrowing from the earnings of my future self. Yes. So- and, and I don't, yeah. And I don't know that, that that is widely understood, certainly not by college students, because mm-hmm. you mentioned the TED talk, but I, I talked in that, in that example, that speech, I talked about financial abstraction mm-hmm. and this idea that money doesn't feel real. It definitely doesn't feel real to an 18 to 24 year old, 23 year old. Because they're using Venmo and and Zelle and they're using a fingerprint to get into the dining center and things like that. You live in a world for four years, if you go to college, four, six, eight years, however long you go there, that 
it's a bubble and the bubble exists almost outside the financial realm. You know, you're borrowing money to be there. You know, it's expensive, but you really have no context of what it's going to take to pay back 30 or 40 or 60 or a hundred thousand dollars when you get done. Yeah, exactly. And, and I love in your TED talk when you're talking about that financial abstraction and you gave the examples of like Disney and the the wristbands that they have or Apple and all the chargebacks, you know, from their apps and yes. authorized purchases. And so it's interesting because, you know, I'll be sitting there with my kids and you know, my daughter will say to me, Hey dad, you know, I need to get some yarn for uh, this little project I want to do. And she grabs my phone and we pull up Amazon and it's just like, boom, 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 touch the buttons. And it it's sent, you know, we're back in the day. It's like my mom was driving me to the store, the craft store, and we like go get the yarn and then we stand in line and she's like writing a paper checkout, you know, you're right. like writing like $12 and 32 cents, you know, and you're signing it. And during that time, you're almost like, it gives you time to like pause and think like, I am writing a check for this amount, right? A hundred percent. Nowadays, you're just like pushing a button and you're like, well, no big deal. And it's hitting some credit card or it's coming out of your bank. And I just don't think people have the time or the discipline or the skills to really track their money like they used to. I mean, remember Adam, like having a checkbook and you're like writing in the, like the little ledger, the paper ledger, you know, I, de- like, hey. I detested it. I detested you know it, I mean? Steve. It was like <laughs> the worst time of the, the, the month for me is paying bills and you're sitting there. How many checks do I have to write now? And then I have to account for them all in the checkbook register and then I see the account number dwindle. You're you're spot on. I I distinctly remember going to the grocery store with my parents and them writing a check. And the cashier would always ask, what's your social security number? Do you remember this? Yeah. And they would write the social security number on the check. You can't even imagine that happening today. Oh, yeah. But I memorized my parents' social security numbers because I heard it so many times at the grocery store. Yeah, it's crazy. And and like you said now, you have this digital wristband and it's you're at Disneyland, you say, Hey, I want a churro. And it's like, beep, you know, just bought a churro. Hey, I want this lemonade. Beep. You know, you just got the lemonade. And little do you know, you just recharge, you know, 15 bucks. Exactly. Say. And I and I think that financial abstraction concept where like money isn't real. And I love how you talked about playing Monopoly with your kids with like real money, it all of a sudden changed the game. So you know, relate this to about or relate this to the topic of debt. Um, this yeah. this idea of financial abstraction. Like, what are we actually talking about here? Well, two things based on what we just went through. Number one, the idea of convenience. You know, you mentioned, oh, my daughter needs something for a project for school. We order it on Amazon. It shows up that day, maybe or the next day. Certainly on your front porch. There is a convenience factor to that. Number one. Number two. When we order things online, there is a part of our brain that fires when we hit one-click ship on Amazon that is that is actually a pleasure sensor because we are in positive anticipation of, of that thing arriving, but there's no tangible pain to spending the money. So if mm. if you are, like most people, spending money on Amazon on a credit card or on a debit card, but I hope you're using a credit card online uh, for security purposes... If, <laughs> if you're using a credit card online and you just hit one click ship, what, what fires in your brain is pleasure. It's a, like a dopamine chemical. It feels good. Yet when you hand over a $50 bill to someone at the store, there is a pain sensor that's fired. Cause that feels real. Like I don't want to lose this $50 and it's a big bill. Relatively speaking, 50 and a hundred dollar bills are hard to break. Usually mm-hmm. there's a pain sensor that fires when you use real cash. So this financial abstraction has caused even more debt for people. Um, And there was a study that was done years ago at a McDonald's store where they just tracked the the expenses, the expenditures of people coming in, either paying with cash or paying with a credit card. And they found that on average, people who used a credit card spent, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was like 17% more than those who just use cash because it doesn't feel real. Hmm. And so when we live in this environment where... And we get the statement. The statement says we owe ten thousand dollars as an example, but your minimum payment's only one seventy five. That too is abstract because we're like, well, I can afford one seventy five. So the ten grand is doesn't even feel real. It's there. It's on paper. We spent it. You know, we're being charged interest on it. 
but I can swing one, 150 or 175, whatever the minimum payment is. So that's where we really in the shred method start getting granular about, go look at that statement, go look at how much is going to interest, how much is going to principal, and then fa- factor in how long will it take you to blast that away if all you're doing is barely scratching the interest. Mm-hmm. And and when that starts to become very real and palpable for people, and I'm not opposed even, uh, I take, it's it's play money, it's effectively movie theater prop money, but I'll take it and I'll light it on fire in front of people. And I'll say, this is what you're doing every year with this $10,000 stack. You're lighting it on fire. Would mm. you do this? And they're like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and so, then when you, when you put it in, the, when you frame it like that, yeah, it becomes much more real. Yeah. And it's weird that it's, it's prop money. It's movie theater money, but it looks like real money. And when you light it on fire, people get all aghast that why, why would you do that? Why would you light that on fire? Well, you're doing the same thing every year, burning up 10, 20, $40,000 in interest. What if you could do it differently and keep that money? What would it, what would that look like? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I like that. And I like that illustration. And I think it's interesting because, you know, going back to the the credit card example where somebody may think, oh, I could I could afford the 175. That's no problem. But then it goes back to your borrowing from your future self. So if you're listening to this and you, I did an episode, episode six is all about debt cycles. So I'm not going to get into the cycles of debt and how that all works, but just real quick, you know, it, it's, when you're borrowing from your future self and like when the economy is doing well, like you have enough cash to service your debt. And, but then in the future, when the economy tightens and all of a sudden you got to, you know, watch your money, watch your dollars, then all of a sudden it makes servicing that debt more difficult and more painful because now instead of taking the kids to a baseball game or to Disneyland, you have to pay that interest, right? You have to you know, pay that interest for a purchase that you made one, two, three, 10 years ago. And that's when I say borrowing from your future self could be very, very painful. And it could really impact your, you know, your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, and just your overall quality of life. Yeah, could could not agree more. That that whole idea of borrowing from your future self, we for for a long time, my wife and I would we were in a two-year period where we just blast away all of our debt early, early on in our marriage. And we had on the on the refrigerator our list of debts that we were knocking out and a, a little saying up above them that said, if you do for two years what most people won't do, you can do for the rest of your life what most people can't do. And what we knew we were doing for those two years was investing for our future selves. So not, not borrowing from, but investing for. And the Adam Carroll of today is super happy that the Adam Carroll of 20 years ago did what he did. And I think this is really critical to boosting your financial IQ, Steve, is that the decisions you're making today are really for the benefit of the 10 and 15 and 20 year away you, yeah. not for the immediate you, though it is beneficial to the immediate you, but it's that future you that's going to be so thrilled you did what you did to set yourself up for future success. Because it's momentary pain today to blast away debt or put money away in the, the stock market or in real estate. But the the future you is so happy when there's assets and equity and cash flow that is covering all of your expenses, making life easier. Absolutely. So if somebody's listening to this and they say, Steve, Adam, that's great. I'm glad you guys could just go out there and pay cash for everything and you don't have to have debt. But like back here at the ranch, you know, like I gotta go <laughs> buy a car tomorrow. And I don't have $40,000 or 30,000 or whatever it is to go buy a car. So what do you expect me to do? So answer that for me. Like somebody's sitting here and it's like, I got to go buy a car or like, I need to go get an education, but I don't have money for tuition. So are there times where it's appropriate to have debt or are you just more from the, the mindset where it's like, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. No, I, I definitely think that, that certainly on the education front, there is a way to go get an education without submerging yourself in you know 40 60 80 grand in student loans and unfortunately for most people steve what that means is they're gonna have to get creative you know go work at starbucks 50 uh 50 time and you can get two years and i think maybe even four years free tuition at arizona state university there's a number of other companies that offer a same a sim- same or similar kind of setup 
someone's going to have to apply for massive amounts of scholarships and continue doing that. Like it's your job to help cover the cost of college. So that's, that's one where I'd say, you know, if you need to borrow for school, totally, <clears throat> excuse me, totally understand. I get all choked up talking about it. I totally understand. <laughs> um, but what I would say is know the ROI. So if you're going to school and you're borrowing $80,000, knowing that you're going to come out making 35 or 40 starting out, it's not a good investment. Um, and there are other majors that maybe you go after that allow you to do you know, the kind of work you want to do. And, and I'm, I'm a little biased on the, on the higher ed front because I have it that most people that go to school they will have seven different careers now moving forward, not jobs. They will they will change careers multiple times throughout their life. So the students, if there are students listening to the show that are thinking, this is my ticket, I'm going to go do this thing, and this is going to be my job forever, know that that's probably not the case. Like, Steve, how many different career paths have you taken? Sure, a lot. Yeah, a, a lot. lot. Yeah. And today, if you look back and said, well, the major that I would take to get me where I am today would be, and it'd be this conglomeration of all these different, you know, majors and, and in industries and specialties and all that. So that's on the, the education side. On the car side, you know, here's what I, what I would often tell college audiences. I would start out by asking how many of you have picked out your dream car? And you know, the drill, Steve, like, 80% of the dudes in the audience raise their hand and it's a you know Ferrari or it's a, a Range Rover. It's it's an 80 to $120,000 ride. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, well, how much do you think the payment is on that? And they have no idea, but you know, it's going to be in the 800 to $1,500 range as an example, Yeah, probably for eight years, 10 years. And what I'll tell them is it's okay to build up to that but you're going to be in your thirties or forties when you can afford that car, you can't afford it in your twenties. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you have to play good offense and you have to play good defense and good offense means you're going to increase your income and playing good defense means you're going to decrease your expenses, which means you can't go get the $40,000 ride right out the gate. You're sure. going to have to go get a 10 or $12,000 car and pay that down and then go get a 20 or $25,000 car and pay that down and then go get a $40,000 car by the time you're in your thirties. And and I think that's the that is the misnomer around building a bigger lifestyle is I want the carb and I want this and I want, you know, I haven't had stuff, so I want to go buy stuff. And I totally understand, but it's it, the stuff can wait so long as you're prepping yourself well for, you know, future you to be able to afford it. Yeah. And and let me just touch on that because this has been a topic that's been like right at the top of my mind here. So I'm going to kind of digress here for a minute and then we're going to come back and I'm going to, I want to get into the the shred method, but you know, I think there's like these different levels of like personal development. And I, I think like we, we all start off with like have, right. It's like have do and become, and yeah. let me explain what I mean by that. So like have is like, okay, you value what you have. Like maybe that's where you get your self-worth based on, you know, what, what possessions you have. So oh, I got a nice car. I have this nice house. Oh, look at this new jacket I have. I just bought these new shoes. Like it's what I have possessions, like bring me validation, self-worth, happiness, whatever. And then you compare yourself to other people. Oh, look at this person over here. They're successful because they have, you know, this Mercedes and they have, you know, this nice home and they have this. Then I think over time, you know, you you start to evolve and you realize, look, you know, like these material possessions, they don't necessarily define my self-worth and like who I am. Yeah. Right. And there's like way more to life than just like stuff. And there's like this whole minimalist uh, movement and like simplifying life type mindset. And and then you move on to maybe what you do, right? So you're like, oh wow, like I really value that, you know, I'm a CFO for a company or I'm you know, the, the top salesperson, or I run my own business and I play tennis and I do this and I do that. And I go on vacations, like what I do. And then, you know, people that they look at you and say, wow, you know, I really respect this person for what they do. You know, they have this career and they're successful here and what they do, do, do. Right. So it goes from have to do. And then, but ultimately where we want to get to is, you know, who we're becoming in the process. And it's not about what we have. It's not about what we do, but it's about, okay, who are we? Like, 
we're kind, we're gentle, we're compassionate, we're empathetic, we're, you know, full of faith. We we're funny. We're, you know, we bring peace to people. We're positive. We're this like magnetic light, right. For people. And it, it becomes less about what we have. It's less about what we do. And it's really about who we become. And, you know, I just had breakfast with my mom this morning and we we're talking about that. And it's like, mom, I, I love breakfast with you. It's not about the breakfast per se of where, where we're eating, but it's like the time we spend. And when I leave her company, I'm like, wow, I just feel so uplifted and inspired. And she gave me new thoughts and, you know, and, and I have a lot of other friends that leave me with that. And it's less about like what this friend has or what kind of car they have or what they do for a living. And it's about who they are. And I think like, you know, when you're younger, or at least for me, and you know, you, you could provide your perspective to Adam, but like for me, you know, I, I had it all backwards when I was younger and you, you buy things and you pursue things and you're like, Oh my gosh, I bought this stuff, wasted my money here. And I, I probably wasted like years of working. I could have just like not worked and not bought the crap that I bought. And, (laughs) you know, and it's just like such a funny rat race that we get caught in. And it's all because of our focus is on the wrong things. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I love the way you describe that. And I, I had a, a piece of content I used to deliver all about. It's it's not uh, have do be, it's be do have. You have to be the kind of person to do the kind of things, to have the kind of things you want. But it starts with being. And I really love the way you're, you reversed it into becoming. Because from my perspective, you know, a lot of people will tell me, I just feel, I feel inspired when I'm around you, or it feels better you know, that you give off this positive energy. And I greatly appreciate that. I don't know that I'm out there trying to do it. I just, I, I honestly feel like when you are free and I, and I will say this often when you're, I want to free to free yourself to be yourself. Mm-hmm. So if we can, if you are feeling free from the bonds of debt or the bonds of got to do this, have to, et cetera, when you're free, you can become that person that you want to become. Sure. And so I, I think you're, you're spot on Steve, that, that, that having nature that people want, I want to have the car and I want to have the nice home and I want to have this. That's great. So long as you know that who you are becoming may be in conflict with that at some level. Yeah. And, and so I, yeah, I could not agree more. I love the way you broke that down. Okay. So let's talk about that. And let's say somebody's listening to the show and they're like, okay, I have, I have a car payment. I have residual student debt that's like plaguing me here. Yep. And I just bought a home. So like I have all this debt. What's the best way to like tackle this debt? Because there's so many different opinions on how to do this, how to do that. And the whole reason why I wanted you on the show is because I was intrigued by this whole shred method. So maybe you can explain like, is it best to just make your, your payments? And when you have extra money, like put it towards the debt that has the most there are the highest interest rate or the shortest duration, or like you spread it equally or like, tell us more about the shred method. Yeah. I, so I love this question. I love the setup to it because this is where we find the majority of our clients. They've, they have a home, they have a car payment or two. There may be some extraneous debt, could be student loans, could be credit cards. And technically Steve, they generally make decent money, decent to pretty good money, meaning they're probably a dual income family. They have some discretionary income and with that discretionary income, they're putting it somewhere and the somewhere they're putting it is usually either a savings account, an investment account, like a 401k or a Roth IRA, or maybe their own trading account. And then they have a a savings fund that is their emergency fund, right? Or a sinking fund, depending on what, how people term it Mm -hmm. here, here is the, the mindset shift that you're going to have in using the shred method. And I'm going to pose a question to you. If you were to leave your house at eight o'clock in the morning to go to the grocery store and then came back home, knowing you were going to go to the post office at 4 PM in the afternoon, would you leave your car idling in the driveway all day long? Right. Absolutely not. And why, why not? I mean, it'd be a total waste, right? Cause you know, you're you're not going to get back in the car for, you know, that whole period. So why just leave it running? Yeah, right. So it'd be a waste of gas. It'd be a waste the, the emissions on the environment. Uh, someone might steal your car, right? All of the above. It just it's it's a cr- extremely inefficient way of of managing this resource that you have in your vehicle. Well, this is what people do with their paycheck. Their paycheck comes in at eight a.m. could be the equivalent of a Friday, and the money sits there Friday. 
Saturday and Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they might spend a little money. That's like going to the post office. But for all those days that it sat there, it sat there not doing anything, not making them any money. All the while, they had other debts hanging out there that were costing them money. And sometimes on a massive scale, like go back to the example I gave before, $120,000 in income, $40,000 in interest expense a year. Well, that's, if my math is right, but $3,800, $3,800 a month in interest expense. I think my math is right on that. 3833, I think, or 3816 or something. I, I'm trying to do head math. So think about how much goes out the door when when our money is handled that way in a very inefficient manner. Sure. So what we're going to do instead with the shred method is we're going to figure out how to make that income as efficient as humanly possible. And your income is really the key to the shred method working, Steve. So your income should do four things. It should pay your expenses. It should eliminate debt. You should be able to build wealth with it and you should be able to do good and or have fun with it. And most people are really good at two of those things. They're really good at paying their expenses and they're really good at having fun. And they're terrible at eliminating debt and building wealth. And so the shred method turns the normal, uh, quote unquote, normal family economy on its head a little bit and says, instead of just dumping your, your income into a checking account, Let's dump your income into a bucket that we'll call the home equity line of credit. Or it could be a personal line of credit or it could be a business line of credit. But it is a an, an LOC, a line of credit, meaning it's a two-way street. Money comes in and money goes out. Right. And it freely passes both ways. Does that make sense so far? Yep. Yep. And in a line of credit for your listeners, it can only ever be zero or negative. You would never have a surplus in a line of credit. So it's it's truly like a loan. You're, it's a lending tool. But it, again, it's a two-way street. Money goes in, money comes out. And the interest that's charged on that line of credit is typically based on the average daily balance. It's not on what the balance is at the end of the month. It isn't set. It fluctuates throughout the month based on how much you put in and how much you take out. Does that make sense so far? Yep. Calling you. So what we do through the shred method is when money gets dumped into our line of credit, first things first, we have to make room for the income to come in. So we have to deploy some of the, the room in that bucket to a debt that's costing us a significant amount of compound interest or amortized interest. So that might go to our credit cards first. We knock down a credit card or two. It might then go to our car payment. We get rid of that completely. And every time we get rid of one of those debts by using some of the money from the HELOC, we are freeing up the payment that used to go to that debt, which in effect is what you were describing in the debt snowball, You know, taking mm -hmm. the payment and just rolling it up to the very next debt. But what happens is that extra money that you're saving is going back into the HELOC every, every month, allowing the HELOC balance to go down lower and lower, freeing up space to then go to the next debt. So in effect, what we're doing is we're creating interest rate arbitrage for those financial gurus out there. Mm -hmm. um, in a, basically saying that if you're willing to, to spend $5 in simple interest to borrow $100, if you knew that that $100 would save you $2,000 in amortized interest. And the mm -hmm. end result is you speed up the amortization table of every debt, including your mortgage, so that you will save tens and in most cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in short order. Meaning most people can be completely out of debt within between three and seven years, depending on their discretionary income and the level of debt that they've taken on. Okay. So say that again, Adam, but say it in like steps that if somebody's listening to this, they say, okay, that's great. That, that sounds like, yeah, I'm in, right? Financial yep. arbitrage, interest rate arbitrage, I'm all in. So Tell me the steps, outline the steps here. Yep. Yep. So let me first do a qualifier. And, and we get asked this question all the time, Steve, around who does this not work for? Mm -hmm. This is not for someone who has more month at the end of their money. You know what I mean? Right. You, you, you can't <laughs> overspend your income and have this work. There has to be more money at the end of the month. And what we're doing with that money is we're putting it to work. It's like the extra money that you have is like putting nitrous oxide in your car's gas tank. 
mm-hmm. and we're going to figure out how to turbocharge it using the shred method. Got so it. it's it's for people who are consistent and and somewhat disciplined and have money left over at the end of the month. After they pay their bills, there's discretionary funds. Yep. So step one is identify how much extra discretionary do you have? So is there a couple hundred? Is it 500? Is that a thousand or more? I mean, when we get into like the thousand to $3,000 mark or more in discretionary funds, you can knock out your debt in record time. Like it will be mind bogglingly fast. Okay. If you're in the 100 to $300 range in discretionary funds, it will still impact you greatly. Like you will notice freedom and flexibility and choice and option like you haven't had in a very long time. So step one, know how much discretionary. Number two, determine how much equity do you have in your house? And, And we recommend using a home equity line typically because the HELOC is a little bit easier to move money to and from. And the interest rate tends to be a little bit lower because it's tied to an asset compared to like a personal line of credit or a business line of credit. Got it. The you know the interest rates on those today are going to be in the six and a half to seven and a half percent range as of today's recording. It may go up, and people will say, "Well, what what happens if it goes up past nine or 10? And what we'll often say is, "It's fine. It just changes how the dynamic of the system works just a little bit." So we go get a home equity line of credit from a local bank or credit union. And most local banks and credit unions are still doing these. The national U.S. Bank, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo are starting to curtail their HELOC lending just a little bit because there's probably some concern in the market that we'll have another 2008. Okay. And um, you know, if if home prices correct massively, then that leaves those those lending institutions sort of out over their skis on what they've lent out. So a local bank, local credit union is generally your best bet. And then the shred method literally walks you through step-by-step. Step. It's it's powered by a piece of software. But what we often tell folks, Steve, is that the software is merely a behavior modification tool. So it's it's meant to change the flow of money for you because it's guiding you day by day, week by week. Once you use it for a while, some people are like, got it, understand the process. I'm going to do this myself. Some people are with us for you know, two to seven years as they pay everything off and they just love the accountability that the software provides. But it you once you plug in your income, your expenses, your debts, it will then spit out to you on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis how much to send and when, particularly in lump sums, to begin knocking that those debts down. No, that's smart. That's genius. So is there a, a, a particular like client profile or ideal client for you with the shred method? Or like you said, it, it's just somebody who has a little bit of excess cash who wants to pay down their debt and they're they're an ideal candidate for you. There is an ideal candidate. And and just to be honest with you, I think it tends to be the person that has a really emotional reason of why they want to be debt-free. Mm-hmm. Or they're super, super connected to the idea that in three years, they'll have all sorts of choices and freedom and options. Because it's um, going to take discipline, right? It just point. takes discipline. And you're going to yeah. have to change behavior. That's exactly right. But what I can tell you is, and this this is really central to the mindset shift, is that the reason that we function the way we do normally, quote unquote normally, is again, we've been trained, well, you got to have three to six to 12 months of living expenses in the bank. And I started questioning, you know, okay, we've had 20 or 30 grand sitting there in a money market account for a long time. What has it done? And and have we needed it? And at some point in your career, you will get to a point where you just know what your value is and you know, you can go create value. And and it would probably take me a month or two months to replace whatever my income is. If I were ever to be quote unquote fired from a job, which I'm the employer, so it's hard to do. But there are times I want to fire myself. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I started questioning what could you do with that money differently, but still have access to it. And so as part of the mindset shift, the question is, do you need access to the money or do you need the money available? Because mm-hmm. access to the money might mean that it's sitting in your equity. It might mean it's sitting in a, a life insurance, you know, high equity cash value life insurance plan. 
It could mean that it's sitting uh, in another piece of real estate or in your watch collection or whatever it may be. There's money sitting there that's easy. You know, uh, you could liquefy it if you needed to. Mm-hmm. But that idea of it being available is, oh, I like to log on to my bank account and see it sitting there. It just makes me feel good. Well, it might make you feel good, but it's costing you a significant amount for it to sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Especially yeah. with inflation nowadays. I mean, hundred percent. It's just like a melting away. ice cube. Exactly. Okay. We're, we're almost out of time, but I have to ask you this question. Okay. Yes. So I, years ago, I, I knew this, this couple and they were in my congregation at church. Great couple. And when they were first married and they, they got married, they, they thought to themselves, look, we don't want to be in debt. We, we want to like pay off our mortgage as fast as possible. And we just want all this freedom. So they like really hunkered down. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm being funny here, but they're like eating beans out of cans. Right. And yes. just like, yes. just like skipping out on everything. Like, Oh, we're not going to do any trips. We're just going to like live the bare minimum. Like, okay, we might buy some like clothes from the thrift store. I mean, literally they're just like, we're going to just be minimalist and really, really watch our spending and just pay down our debt. And when we pay off our house, then woo, we're free. Like think of all the things we could do. And they did this. And tragically, right when they paid off the house, his wife passed away. Uh, she had cancer and and she passed away. I mean, it's tragic. And she yes. was like his sweetheart. So then some people may be listening to this and there's like that mindset, like eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Right. Like yep. let's just yep. go out there. Just like live life, you know, like totally. man, Steve, Adam, life's short. And like, just go out there and spend it. If you have it, spend it. And who knows if I'll even be around time 70 or 80 or 90. So why would I pay off all this debt and like be all restrictive with my spending? And I, I think there's like balance to that, right? Because, you know, I wouldn't want to be eating, you know, rice and beans for all these years and then pay off my mortgage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I regret like the last 20 years I could have like traveled yes. around with my wife and like seen the world, but also you don't want to get to the point where you're like 70 or 80 years old and you like have to go to work or you're like going to get kicked out of your house. Yes. So like, what's the balance in all this? Because I think a lot of people may be listening to this and and they may have that mindset, but I, I think it's important to like provide some clarity because this is, this is really a big thing. Cause a lot of people listening to this are like, yes, I want to get out of debt. No, I don't want to be paying a bunch of interest. No, I don't want to be a slave to my job. But like, how can we like in, enlighten people or, or share a, a better perspective or different mindset here? Yes. Man, I love this question. Because um, I'm sure all of us, everyone listening, you, me, we all have someone that we can think of that that happened. They live their life according to some future plan that never happened. And then they live in regret. What I will tell you, I actually am getting chills even uh, in thinking about this question. I, from from me, and I can only speak from my experience and perspective, Steve. I truly believe that that we are all life architects. We get to design our life. That anyone who who says, "Well, I can't do that because," and then they fill in the blank with things like, "Because my company won't allow that," or "Because my," uh, you know, because I've heard people, "Well, I can't travel because I just bought a new set of of uh, living room furniture and a new TV, and I have to finance that." You know, those kinds of things. I hear these and there's a quote that I'm fond of that is your life is perfectly engineered for the results you're currently getting. <laughs> and I have engineered my life and architected my life with my family where in 2019, we spent a month in Europe together and it was an amazing month. And it was about two months before that we had paid off our house for the second time in wow. about eight years. So when when you say hey how do people who really want that but you know how do you balance it my mentality is you can have both but you have to very intentionally cut out anything that doesn't support what you value in your life yeah so as an example and we're we're maybe a little bit um on the extreme on this front but we as a family don't go out to eat a lot because mm-hmm. my wife's an amazing cook and my kids are homebodies. And if we do order, you know, we might order something, but we'll go grab it and bring it home. But we're not dropping 80 or $120 as a family of five 
And yet I know people who will, they'll go spend a couple thousand dollars a month on dining out or whatever the number is commensurate with your income, right? Sure. And, and I think that if you can very intentionally and almost ritualistically cut out the things that are of no importance to you, you can go do all the things that are of great importance to you, like travel and experience life and do all of that. But I do think that it requires you surrounding yourself with people who are also doing that. Because if, if you're listening to your you know, crazy brother or cousin-in-law and they're telling you you're nuts for you know, doing this and you should be in crypto right now and you know, right, right. everything else, people around you are going to influence how you are. You need to be part of a community of people who are also living according to those values, which are things like, no, you can design your life the way you want to live. Like I know you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're a case study. You're a living example of someone who's put your core values and your life principles ahead of the the desire for stuff. Sure. And when you surround yourself and listen to people like that, then you can do more of that. And I, I applaud your listeners for tuning into the podcast. And, and I think there's a big difference between hearing it and doing it. And I would yeah. implore everybody, just go do it, do it for a year, two years and imagine what kind of change your life, uh, you know, what kind of change your life can make in that amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. Go do it, go try it. And if, if it doesn't work and you're like, wow, this is like miserable and I'm not happier then sure you go back to your old ways. But you know, I guarantee you like, you're going to, you're going to feel so much better and you're, you're just going to clear your mind and have more positivity and just a lot, a lot more just like good things in life. Right. Just a better state of being. So Adam, it's been great. I I mean, we could go on and on. So I'm going to probably have to have you back on the show here so we could do a follow-up episode, but this has been a great conversation. And for all you listening out there, thanks for tuning in. Like Adam said, I mean, this, this is such a critical piece, not only for you to know, but for you to share with other people. And, you know, if you have kids, it's, it's great to start teaching them these financial principles when they're young. Check out Adam's TED Talk. It's called When Money Isn't Real, the $10,000 Experiment. And, and you'll love it, especially if uh, you play Monopoly. There's a, a great example in that video. But check out that TED Talk. And also, if you go to byfiq.com, I'm going to, on the guest page, I'll have Adam's profile up there and um, I'll include some links as well. So, if you want to learn more about what he's doing and about his shred method, you could find all those links and resources there at byfiq.com. But Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. You did a terrific job and really shared some valuable things with me and the audience. Well, I love it, Steve. Thank you for doing what you do. This is super important stuff. I'm a fan and I would love to come back and join you again. Thanks everyone. Until next time, take care. It's now time to give some shout outs. So thank you everybody for giving me your feedback. It's extremely helpful. This one's from Juan. Hey, Steve, I started to listen to your podcast and I'm loving it. Thanks for that feedback, Juan. This one's from Oliver. Hey, Steve, thanks for connecting. Just wanted to say I really enjoy your BYFIQ podcast. Please keep them coming. Thanks a lot, Oliver. Thank you so much for giving me your feedback and I'll continue to give shout outs as the comments roll in. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. 
BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.